Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. The fans are back on the Arenberg and Paris-Roubaix is back in its rightful place in the calendar. And the racing on both men's and women's editions was as good as ever. In the men's race, Dylan van Baal took the win in the velodrome after an extraordinary early attack by his Ineos teammates who are fast establishing themselves as regular classics winners. And in the women's race, Elisa Longo-Borghini pushed favourites Lotte Capecchi and Lucinda Brand into second and third places. What ruler as Rachel Jarry was there. Rachel, um, how was the atmosphere for both races? Uh, the atmosphere was amazing, actually, for both of them. Uh, we went to the Arenberg for the men's race, and it was like some sort of kind of festival experience. Like, it was so hot, and people were having barbecues. There was loads of families there, like huge crowds. And when the race came, it all just like erupted. It was so exciting to be there. Um, and then at the finish, there was literally packed crowds for both the men's and women's races, which was good to see because I went last year actually and it was kind of a bit quiet for the women's but this year there was like at least double the amount of people there and the riders came in and it it was just epic like their faces were dusty they were kind of battered and bruised it was like they really had just emerged through some awful hell and they pushed really hard to get there but they were all like absolutely elated to be there and I think that shows what a special race is and it was dry People say you need rain to make Paris-Roubaix exciting, but I think this year proved that you really don't. And both races were as good or even better, I think, than last year. In the men's race, obviously, the big surprise was that Ineos went really early in the race and they managed to stay out there for the rest of the race. Tell us a bit more about that. I think Ineos really changed the usual tradition of Paris-Roubaix this year by taking things on with, I think it was 205 kilometres to go or something when the crosswinds hit in the really early stages of the race. And... In doing that, they caught a lot of the other favourites napping, like Wout van Aert apparently was at the back of the peloton having a nature break, whereas Ineos ended up with like all seven riders in the front group, which was really impressive. And I think it sums up their season so far. They really deserve that win. They've been so strong in the classics with um, like Kwiatkowski winning Amstel Gold Race, uh, Magnus Sheffield won Brabant's Pill, Dylan van Baal was also second in Flanders and... They have really rebranded as a classics team, racing with like a different formula because it was very different to kind of the team sky of old that we've seen who have that formulaic way of racing up the mountains where it's all really quite structured, whereas they seem to be racing, you know, with so much passion and not as conservatively which 
which is emulated across the whole peloton, I think, like races are being taken on a lot earlier. It's not that kind of soft tapping piano riding for 100k. We don't know when it's going to kick off, what to expect, and Ineos aren't afraid to lose, which is, I think, why they're winning so much. Um, and it's probably due to some of the newer riders they've signed for this year, like Ben Turner, who has been an asset in the classics as a key like team player. I think he finished 11th in Paris-Roubaix despite his uh, late on crash. And I spoke to him at the end of the race and he seemed completely buzzing about the team's performance. Yeah, I don't know how we did that. That was fun though, you know. I was looking and it was like 200k to go. And I was like... I don't know what's going to happen here. And then, uh, I was just in the front all the day, all day, and yeah, I made the selection, and then uh, I was hanging. Yeah. You got to love bike racing, aren't you? It's the best thing in the world. For a lot of viewers, one of the entertaining things was Bradley Wiggins on a motorbike for pretty much the the whole of the uh, men's race. You also managed to get a few questions to him as well. Was he impressed by the Ineos performance? Yeah, he was. He was very impressed. I think. He said it was the earliest he'd ever seen a Paris Bay being taken on. He said he'd never seen a Paris Bay like that one. And he actually seemed quite exhausted himself just from being on the back of the motorbike. So, yeah, proves how hard it would be for the riders. Um, but I think, yeah, while so many of us were surprised at how innovative Ineos were with their racing style, Wiggins almost didn't seem quite as shocked. He knows, obviously, the team so well and their history. And if you think about it, they've always been innovators from the start. Maybe them approaching a race in a different way wasn't as surprising. Typical day, Brailsford, you know, sort of just to, to sort of to hell with tradition and, and do something out, not out, not out of the textbook, and um, you know, break the mould really. And they did that in the on the section where no one would have expected that to work. And they had everyone there, and um, they all sacrificed each other's chances for everyone. And Luke Rowe gave his will to Ganna. Ganna did his job for Kriatowski. Amstel Gold winner did his job for the team. And, they really deserved it today, better than anyone. They rode more like a team than anyone today. Have you ever seen a Paris Bay being taken on that early before? No, no, I mean, no. What do you reckon it kind of says about, like, how the Peloton's Yeah, I think it's definitely a change in, in definitely been a shift in the traditions, and, and especially this race, you know, what it's about. I mean, normally that first 100k, the break goes, and everyone waits to the first sectors, but the textbook went out the window today. And you actually did manage to um, get... Uh, an audience with Dave Brailsford himself after the race. Yeah, I mean, Dave Brailsford, he was interesting to hear from because he's always been kind of mastermind behind that team. And I think I think it would be fair to say that things kind of haven't been going as well for the team as they have in the past. And rather than trying to remedy that by replicating the same tactics, he's kind of gone in a new direction with the team. And they're not so dominant in the Grand Tours anymore. He's realised that and he's switched focus, you know, rather than buying big talent like uh, riders like Pojakar, he's invested in the youth and development and that's really paying off. Um, yeah, I, I heard him after the race speaking to Ned Bolting, who is a regular ruler columnist and a friend of ruler. And uh, he was kind of explaining how the young riders are having such a positive impact on the team and how they've changed the whole dynamic there. Finally, finally. Yeah. You know, yeah. it does feel a bit like that. But I mean, um, and, and actually, when you think about, you know, I think many people would say who know the sport, there's two big races that are known in our sport, you know, the Tour de France and Paris Bay. You know, we've never cracked it. And we tried, so we tried, we really, really tried, but never felt, well, all right, this is it. I thought we were going to win it last year, to be honest, when Gianni, before Johnny punctured. But then uh, I think the momentum that the team had coming into this race, from the so that they built through this classic period, gave it a different feel. I must say, it did feel like, whoa, we really have got a chance. And they were calm, they were excited. 
they didn't feel that sort of intensity, you know, mm-hmm. last night and the night, a couple of days before. They were excited, they were ready to go. And I don't know whether the, the, the introduction of... Well, I do, actually. I think the introduction of the young guys into so, the team... I'd like, I'd like to be able to say it was planned and it was, a, you know, really well thought through, <laughs> but let's be honest, it wasn't. <laughs> but fair play to them. You know, the, the Magnus Sheffields, the Tom Pidcocks, the Ben Turners, you know, the Luke Claps. All of the, you know, Ben Tullet, and all these young lads have come into the team and they just want to race and, yeah. and they've got no, they've just got abandon, you know, free will and abandon. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they, they're nipped on the heels of the older lads. Yeah. The older lads are looking over the shoulders thinking, bloody hell. Yeah. And you've got this upward pressure, really. And all of a sudden, there's a great impact on the older lads. It's a, the enthusiasm of the, the youth, if you like, permeated throughout everybody. And it's just created a fantastic environment in the team. Don't think you can coach that. So. Dave Brailsford talking to Ned Bolting. So uh, what about the women's race? Uh, less of a surprise winner, because you can never underestimate Elisa Longo Borghini um, but still looked a really hard race yeah it definitely was really hard and I think I think it was a bit of a surprise still because Elisa Longo Borghini wasn't someone who I would say was on my radar personally before the race because she hasn't had the best season up until that point she was ill in the spring and I remember in the press conference afterwards she actually said she was never planning on riding Paris Bay and just a week before the team asked her to do it and said they really wanted her to and said she could ride it with no pressure and so that's why she decided to do it in the end um she definitely wasn't the rider from Trek that I expected to win because they had riders like Ellen van Dijk Lucinda Brandt who were really good options and really up for that race and up for the challenge and yeah, she, Longa Bocchini did it in the end and she made that really well-timed attack. I think it was with 33k to go of the race. Um, it was a perfect counter move to another breakaway that had just been caught back. Her teammates then were just doing like textbook, disrupting the chase behind and Elisa had the legs to get to the line. And I think a big part of her making it was that she said in the press conference she'd never stop believing. I think someone asked her, when did you know the moment you were going to win that race? And she said, from the start of my attack. She said, if I didn't, if I didn't think that, then I would never have made it. And I think that was kind of the key to her victory. And it's Paris Bay is a race where, you know, if you have that attacking instinctive drive, it does really reward you. And um, it showed for the second year in a row as well, because obviously Lizzie won for that team last year by doing a kind of all or nothing attack. Um, and they're a team which generally places a lot of focus on Paris Bay, even launching a new bike this year, a new Trek Nemano, especially for this race. So just shows how important it is uh, to get the win for the team. We talked about young riders in the men's race, but there were some very young riders in the women's event as well. And you caught up with a couple of them. Yeah, I think uh, because of the size of the women's peloton, you know, the rosters are quite small. And if you're a young rider on a UCI team, you're probably at some point being end up thrown into big races to fill spaces if someone's ill or injured even if you might not be 100% ready for it yet um I mean Paris Bay is hard for everyone especially if you're unfamiliar with the peloton you know how it ebbs and flows how the race is going to pan out so for riders who've just come to the elites it's a massive step up um and I spoke to two riders who were riding Paris Bay for the first time. One was Flora Perkins of Lecole Wahoo and the other was Abby Smith of Team EF Tibco SVB. Flora is still at school doing her A-levels, so it's crazy to think that she goes from riding a race like Paris Bay to being in school the following week. And um, Abby is another really promising young rider who joined the World Tour this year. She's really strong, really powerful, and will be really suited to Rubé in the future. 
they were both obviously completely exhausted when I spoke to them, but it was nice to see how hard they'd fought to get to the velodrome despite all the crashes and drama along the way. Okay, let's hear from uh, Abby Smith first. I'm really pleased to have finished. Obviously, luck does play a part and I got caught in a crash um, before the cobbles. So quite a bit of chasing beforehand, but yeah, just crashes left, right and centre and... It's, uh, it was it was madness, really. <laughs> really. Is that, like a lot of people say that like the most difficult part is actually that fight into the first cobbled sector. Is that something you found? Yeah, that's exactly it. Because um, if you're out of position there, uh, then then the front's already gone. And if one person comes down in front of you, then you lose 30 seconds straight away. And it's yeah, it's <laughs> definitely definitely that's the case. I can see you've like crashed yourself, but yeah. I mean, was it important for you to just keep fighting today? Like, made sure you made it. Here? Yeah. The main thing was make it home, keep fighting, because you never know what happens in front of you. You know, they could have been, they could have slowed right up, they could have uh, had other crashes and things, which you so you never know. You just got to keep fighting and, until the end. Yeah, next time I do this, um, if I want to do it again, <laughs> yeah, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's it's all very well being strong and being good on the cobbles, but if if you're 100 riders back. That's Abby Smith and now uh, Flora Perkins from Lacol Wahoo. Yeah, so the plan was for me to, in the local lap, try and get in, in at like the early break and so I could hit the cobbles first. That didn't really go to plan. Um, and so when, when they went up the road, there was like four maybe. I was like, oh, I need to be there, but I was just far back. And then you're just trying to get out any way you can. And then once I did, like, it was just, I was in that middle space where you can't quite grid and you're, um, yeah, then I got caught. And I was, I just had to change my mindset and be like, okay, I'll help position as much as I can. And, like, get Tata and Maya up to the front. Um, and we did that okay, but it could be better, could be worse. Um, and then from there on in, it was like, can't, there's no tactics, you just ride. Um, and I was feeling quite good early on, like making my way through the cars and I got up to a group. But then I decked it and then you just lose all of like all that hard work. Um, and from there it's just kind of fighting to the end. I came down another time because I think you just get tired and then you lose concentration. And you, I think I kept trying to go for the outside line, um, like in the mud and stuff. But then actually sometimes. Like you need to be switched on to be able to, it's quite narrow. Um, so yeah, it was hard, but I, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, so good, good yeah. Was it important for you to get here? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did it feel rolling into the Rebo Velodrome? It did feel good. I mean, I came in with a couple of other riders. I was like, okay, do I sprint or not? Um, because I don't know what the etiquette is. But then they like wanted a picture with both of them, so I just went round and I was like, you know what? Places, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, Rachel, your best memory from the weekend? I think the best memory for me uh, was going back to that first cobbled sector of Paru Bay Femmes. I mean, I went there last year. I saw Lizzie's winning attack go at that point. And this year, being there again, it was equally as exciting. There's something about like that 
section that sums up how great Roubaix is as a race. You know, they the riders come, they've had a few, huge fight to get to that point. The dust is everywhere. People had crashed, people were chasing. Those at the front were kind of smashing along so quickly. And it sums up the chaos of what Paris-Roubaix is. And I think there'll always be a real history on that stretch of cobbles. You really get a sense when you stand there of what a moment it is. Every time the women's peloton go over that point, it will always be the first ever cobbles of Paris-Roubaix that they did. And I think that's something really special and you get a sense of that when you stand there. Okay, thanks, Rachel. Let's leave our discussions of Roubaix with uh, some of the sounds of the velodrome at the finish of the race. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinawi, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. This is Ruler Conversations, and Ruler has a new editor. We thought you'd like to meet him. Ed Pickering will be a name familiar to many of you. He's been writing books and articles about cycling for many years. When I caught up with him recently, he'd literally just got his feet under the editor's desk. I came straight into press week, so that was fairly fairly rock and roll. But thanks not at all to me and to the hard work of the previous incumbents it all it all went fine and now I'm now I'm just busy learning everyone's faces and how everything works and looking forward to getting cracking on the next one now a lot of cycling fans might be familiar with your name can you remind us of your sort of background you're an author and a cycling journalist aren't you I am yes I I I started out as a cycling journalist about 20 years ago at cycling weekly did a cycle a sideways move over to cycle sport magazine where I was until about 10 years ago, and then went freelance for a few years, um, during which time I wrote a couple of books, um, The Yellow Jersey Club and Ronda. And then I became editor of Pro Cycling Magazine, where I was for six and a half years until that closed last year. Um, so I've been in cycling journalism for longer than I care to remember, really, but still still enjoying it. As you sort of um, hinted at there, there have been quite a few changes, haven't there, in cycling media, over certainly over the past 20 years. And, and and it's a weird time at the moment, isn't it? Because there's so much cycling available on all kinds of different platforms and, and media. Uh, and yet um, cycling magazines have a slightly difficult role in all that, don't they? Yeah, I and mean, magazines full stop have got a difficult role everywhere because sales have been going in one direction for many years since the advent of the internet. So the, the, the industry is having to adjust, and this is happening in real time, it, it continues to adjust as the enormous impact and effect of the internet kind of spreads. Yeah, you know, when you look at what magazines did when I was a when I was a child and and reading about they they were my only real source of information about cycling. And I used to wait till Thursday to find out what had happened, you know, that weekend in the races. Now there's you know, there are ubiquitous channels, 
start to finish coverage of bike races, um, social media, websites, blogs, vlogs, podcasts. You know, the the list goes on. It's it's been a fascinating ecosystem to be in because I I kind of joined it just at the the cusp between uh, the old the world of the the peak of old media and new media coming in as the kind of the main the main source of information. So, like when you look at the cycling media landscape now it's you know it's very different from two years ago which was in turn different from two years before that changes very quickly but you know mainly it's in a positive direction I think we have more information than we ever had before we've got the sport is bigger I would say than it's ever been before there are lots of exciting new developments you know gravel's particularly big at the moment but trend trends come and go but overall cycling is is growing continues to grow and Rouleur's place in that as a magazine is to well, its its job is to find you know find find its niche and offer something that nobody else does. And you know that that's kind of to Rouleur's advantage, I think, because Rouleur has always offered an immersive, in-depth experience of the sport and activity. We offer long-form, high-quality journalism, excellent pictures, and. A kind of experience that you 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 still cannot get on the internet. You know the the feeling that you are, it is just you and the magazine, and you're immersing yourself in those words. You don't get that when there are ads flashing up on the screen, and you don't get the feeling that your reading habits are being tracked. Um, so it's a it's a it's a unique experience. One I one I hope our our readers kind of appreciate. And um, was it that that attracted you to applying for the role? Um... Was it that that sort of uniqueness of Rouleur? Yeah, I love I love magazines and I love I love books and I think I I don't get the same feeling from reading an an ebook as I do a physical book. Same with a magazine and words on the screen. And I think it's because the the intention you have and the 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 you know the fact that you are focusing on it. There's there's no distraction. Um, and that's why I love magazines. I, I, I find that they're a very rewarding reading experience. They feel lovely. They look lovely. And you, you have the, imp- I always have the impression with a magazine and with a book that a lot of care and attention has gone into the reading experience. And the reader is at the centre of that experience. The, the words can be the same, but you know, the way our attention is split and the way the internet works is very a very different experience i think over the past uh, year or so uh, one of the things that rouleur has been notable for were the sort of special editions like the women's edition um the empowerment issue um is that something you see the magazine continuing under your leadership yeah there'll be there'll be more of the same because it's a it's a successful model that's resulted in increased readership and you know the the, the quality of the mag has not been compromised in any way shape or form it's just it's moved towards a set of themed issues and there's 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 a plan for the next few issues to be similarly themed that seems to be resonating with the readers so we're going to continue and you know behind all that and the foundation of all that will always remain really well-written intelligent words and beautiful pictures that are really nicely presented on a page so that's that's something that whether it's a themed issue or not has always been kind of running through Ruler's DNA, but yeah, we we have great ideas for all the well. The, before I got here, there were there had already been great ideas to you know for the next few issues, and we, we're we're going to continue that. And you know, I'm I'm also extremely keen always to hear from 
readers and potential readers and you know past readers as well from what what they want to see because you know, we we have ideas within our team but you know our like I said before the readers you know the readers the most important person and we we want to make them happy so you know we'll we'll continue with making magazines that the readers like to read is there anything in particular you're looking forward to over the next few months yeah i mean it's really exciting times in cycling there's there there are always races to be looking forward to and will and there are always fascinating personalities and on the sports side of cycling there, there there are just always stories it's it's such a it's the best sport in the world for stories i think there there things pop up whether it, whether it's tim malia having to hop over a fence to get out of the way of the oncoming finishing sprint for you know whatever plate was sixth or seventh place in the races in over the weekend or or Remco Evenepoel shoving Ben Turner out of the way during yesterday's race or Magnus Sheffield winning the race and Ineos suddenly being a classics team instead of a um a grand tour team yeah, there, there's always so much to write about I mean in a way our job is easy we we, we just have to open our eyes and you know, observe the fascinating things that happen. So, you know, Ruler is a chronicle of those things. And also, Ruler's uh, an opportunity to find the stories that aren't so prominent that we haven't seen on on, on our screens. We're, we're going to be digging down into some of those. But, you know, lucky me, I've fallen, you know, the next mag that we're doing is the Tour de France preview. And, you know, the Tour de France is what got me into cycling. And I, I, will, I will always love it. And I'm looking forward to putting together a preview that, you know sets up the race in in a you know in a real ruler style we're going to be, we're going to have a bit of racing in there but also the the stories behind the race a bit of culture geography politics history and all the rest of it and hopefully you know give a real real rounded picture of the race new ruler editor ed pickering and if you do want to tell ed what you're looking for or if you want to say anything about the podcast or anything else to do with the magazine you can get in touch podcast at ruler.cc and that's it from this ruler conversations there'll be a ruler tech podcast along next week Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.